All right, we are in our series. Get things together here. Today we're moving from the first table of the law to the second table of the law. You recall the first table of the law, verse uh, commands one to four. Jesus summarizes that as love for God. In the second table of the law, he summarizes as love for neighbor. It admonishes us that our religion is never just an otherworldly, spiritual, me and God religion, but encompasses and embraces and affects everything, everything. And so the order is significant. Uh, We can't really love our neighbor unless we love God. Uh, It's our love for God that truly enables us to love our neighbor. And to to the degree that our nation seeks or ceases to love God, it's gonna be very difficult for us to love our neighbor and do good to our neighbor. Eric Alexander, the British preacher says, we will never be able to get our relationship with others right unless our relationship with God is right. Sometimes we're out of, off kilter with one another, and the issue is we're really off kilter with God. And we know we can't love God on our own. We can't love God unless God acts to set his love on us, and the Exodus story is a visual aid for that. God first demonstrates his redeeming love for enslaved Israel, then once he redeems them and brings them to the mountain, he calls them to love him. 1 John 4:19. We love because he first loved us, and that's gospel. Uh, God's saving grace, the redeeming love of Christ for us at the cross, Romans 5:8, while we were still sinners, changes you and me into people who love God. And this love for God then moves us out into our relationships, empowering us to show love to our neighbor when we might otherwise not have wanted to. And so our love for neighbor ends up becoming a gauge for the genuineness of our love for God. So you want to know if you're loving God. Sometimes we wonder, am I growing in my love for God? Well, how am I doing with my neighbor? Am I loving my neighbor? It's a gauge. So, Alexander again, we show that we honor God by the way in which we honor what God honors. And the obedience we show to this second group of commandments is, therefore, the evidence of our obedience to the first. Or, more directly, a Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, said, he cannot be good in the first table that is bad in the second. Like, we can't kid ourselves about the first table if we're a mess in the second. Now, also, the placement of the fifth commandment is significant. It's not haphazard. Uh, The fifth commandment is the first in the second table of the law, and that's intentional. Philip Ryken says, in telling us how to treat one another, God starts with our families. Loving our neighbor starts at home. And sometimes we can think, I love my neighbor in a generalized sense out there, but we're saying in the fifth commandment, the first one, in the second table, well, it starts at home. How are you doing there? That's where we learn to love, 
God and others. That's where we learn to respect authority. Augustine years ago said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone else he will spare? Like if you can't love your parents, what prayer do you have to love anybody else? And this commandment is so fundamental. And the reason for that is that the family is the basic unit in society. The family is both the foundation supporting and also the fountain providing for both church and nation, such that an old Puritan said, such as families are, such at last the church and the commonwealth must be. It's that crucial. That's why it's first in the second table of the law. Well, let's read our text today. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. And this good word, and there's gospel all over it, it endures forever. Amen. So three points. God, what God instructs us, what's implied in this, and what God intends for us. So what God instructs us, what's implied in this, and what God intends for us. So what does God instruct us here? Oh, you could say so much. Here God, here God himself honors and calls on us to honor parenthood, the parent-child relationship. It's, it, it, it's been encouraging to me to think that God honors it and calls us to honor it. And he's not just talking to little children, the little children in our midst. He's not just talking to you. It's not like the parents got to go out for a coffee break when they're at the foot of the mountain and say, talk to my kids. God addresses grown men and women, and therefore grown men and women need to apply it to themselves with their aging parents, need to put it into practice, the implications of this in their parenting, and need to teach it to their children. But additionally, God is talking to children. Children, you didn't get to go off and play. You were at the foot of the mountain too. Imagine, God from the mountain addressed you. God views you as covenant members. Like you're a part of this thing. Along with your parents. You're viewed as redeemed by the blood, delivered from slavery, recipients of promises, responsible for commands. Children from birth, you are covenant members. God gives his name to you at baptism. I've been encouraged to think of it this way. Baptism is a naming ceremony. Like God the Father gives his name to you to where you can refer to God as my Father, my Father. And he calls you to own your faith for yourself. Your faith can't be your parents. It can't be an umbrella over you. He's directing himself to you and say, put your faith in me, in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Own the covenant for yourself. You're included in this. So children, we're to honor our fathers and our mothers. 
And that word for honor here is, is, a, is, a, is an amazing word. It's the word kaved, or the noun form is kabod. Uh, kaved literally means be heavy or weighty. The noun is weight, burden. It's often used for glorifying God or for God's glory. It's weighty. So God's saying here, give due weight to your parents. Treat them like they matter, like they're significant and important. In some way, God shares his glory with them. Treat them like their office is weighty. It's a role in an office God has put them in. And that role in office is to represent him, to act on behalf of him to you, children. They're agents of God in his goodness to you. It's a weighty role. So treat them with respect and appreciation. Don't treat them with disrespect or indifference or ingratitude or just dismissive or like they're light and not weighty and important. And notice God specifically states both your father and your mother. Uh, Legal codes in the ancient world didn't mention mothers. But here God, you see God's word is always countercultural. It it counters the structures of sin in fallen humanity. And God's looking at a culture that looked down on women, dominant culture of men, and he elevates the dignity of women and mothers and says, you honor your mother and your father. In fact, Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Mothers come first there. So children, we're to honor our parents for their God-given office they hold in our lives. I mean children of all ages. We're to honor our parents for their God-given office in our lives. Obviously, we do that for the good and the love they show us, but it's an office At the same time, you parents, each of you parents out there, we know we've fallen short at times. We know we we failed at times. Those times that we have tend to stay in our minds, they spin in our minds. We know we haven't been perfect. We know we have room to grow. Sometimes we haven't deserved honor. And yet God looks at us children and says, I have put your mother and father in a place of authority and charged you to honor them. They're representing me, it's weighty. So how should a child in the house of his or her parents show honor to them? So children, if you're in the house of your parents, there's a great prompt for devotion, maybe Sunday afternoon devotion. To honor your parents is to obey uh, them and obey them with a good attitude. It's not enough just to obey this begrudging uh, attitude, but to obey, but with a good attitude. It's even to think of ways to help without being asked. In addition, it's to be thankful for all the work and sacrifices of your father and mother make for you. It's a heart of gratitude. You know, as we grow up, uh, children, you get to be junior high and you start having this host of activities. 
I mean, ton of stuff you do. And I just remember me at your age. And there was a subtle disposition that kind of crept into my own thinking that my parents were kind of my staff. And uh, they were my workforce, providing me with resources, my hotel restaurant management team, my logistics experts, my transportation service, my medical consultants, and my fan base, all rolled into one. It was just great. But we took them for granted. I took them for granted. We can't do that. Uh, It really dawned on me several years ago, well, really when we moved to uh, Tupelo, and it dawned on me how hard it must have been for my parents when they left a campus ministry at 40, started a new career, moved to a new town, and put four kids in private school. And I was thinking about that as we moved to Tupelo under similar circumstances and pressures, and yet I was so thankful for a good public school option. I was wondering, how in the world did they do it? Heart of gratitude to see what they go through and what they sacrifice for us. To honor your parents is to take to heart their teaching, their instruction, and that's the emphasis of Scripture. The emphasis is take to heart what they teach you. Proverbs 1 8, hear my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, both your father and your mother. Over and over in the Bible, urges children to respond to the training and also the discipline of their parents. Children, your your parents have this unique responsibility joined with this heartfelt burden and desire to lead you to own the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself, to develop a hunger and thirst for the word that you own that you feed yourself from the Word of God and to live in relationship with God all the days of your life. And that occupies our minds and our prayers and our heart and sometimes with tears. Esteem them for their desire and their efforts to guide you in the way of the Lord. Youth, youth. Now, a lot of our youth can't be here today. Youth. Uh, Be aware that almost everything in our culture opposes this kind of honor for parents. Just think of it across the board. The nuclear family is often seen as holding you back from your fulfillment. Your well-being isn't tied to being shaped by their instruction, but rather throwing off any shackles of their instruction that might stifle your individual strongest desires. That's the culture we live in, and it affects us. Also, as a people, we idolize youth. I mean, the ages of about 15 to 25. We idolize pop culture, the the, the newest thing, the latest technology. That's where we go as a culture. We don't revere age and maturity and experience nor the values and the institutions and the generations that got us where we are. We live off their credit, but we don't honor them for it. Sitcoms regularly portray parents as kind of irrelevant or even buffoons, and it just seeps into our mentality. It's the current we live in, but we as a people stand against that. We stand against that. So youth, speak well of your parents, Desire their input and be open about your life. All right, so how should a child outside the house of his or her parents show them honor? 
And well, of course, with maturity and independence, and especially if you start your own family, you have your own essential primary covenant, things shift and change. Obey ends up becoming deep respect, a desire for their advice. Um, Your relationship becomes more good friends, but with reverence and thankfulness. Um, You want to esteem them. You want to encourage them. You want to be able to do what they ask you to do. It's the way we treat our parents outside the home. Well, how does the command call us to treat our aging parents? Sometimes we have to parent our parents. Proverbs 23, 22 is beautiful. It says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. It's a great verse. And we would take care of them. This may mean financial help, but certainly it means an encouragement to them especially when they get weaker, to esteem them as the outward body is wasting away, the inward body is being renewed day by day, help uplift them when they're lonely, or the verse I like to share with my dad, Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to those who come. To recognize that God has them in a unique role still. We need their influence on us and the generations that come. It's a prayer of David. Let me keep nurturing the faith in my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Well, what else does the command entail for us today? Remember, we interpret the commands by the whole scripture. All the commands uh, are fleshed out in the rest of God's word. And the rest of God's word builds on these commands. So the rest of scripture shows that these commands instruct us to respect all those God has placed in legitimate authority relationships over us. Oftentimes, scripture refers to a king as a father, a prophet as a father. Uh, Paul says, as a father, I cared for you. Um, So we honor them in a way appropriate to their office because God has placed them there. Romans 13.1, God says, ultimately, all authority comes from him. We honor those God has placed in authority over us because through them, we see that God has placed them there. So that song that John Cougar Mellencamp used to sing back in the 80s or 90s that I kind of liked when he said, I fight authority, but authority always wins. That's not our song. We respect and esteem authority because God has placed it there. So the commandment has everything to do with how we view leaders in the church, how we view our leaders at work, and how we view leaders in our government, even the way we speak about them, even if we don't agree with them, their office, they're placed there by God, and we show them honor. At the same time, we do so deeply mindful that our ultimate honor and ultimate reverence isn't to any man, but it's to God himself, our true father. And therefore, if any authority ever contradicts God's will in our life, or ask us to do something that's contrary to what God would want us to do, we echo Peter and John before the Sanhedrin and say we must obey God rather than men because God is our ultimate father and no man, no woman is. 
Well, that's what God instructs us in a nutshell. Uh, what, 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 what does God imply in this commandment? What are some things implied here? There's a whole lot of stuff implied here. Well, God implies or presupposes a lot here. He essentially charges fathers and mothers to exercise their authority in the way he told them to. And I regularly think of this quote in Ted Tripp's book. Many of you read Shepherding a Child's Heart. And there's this quote that Ted Tripp says when he says, our culture does not like authority. It is not just that we don't like to be under authority. We don't like being authorities. I think of that and I say, you know, you're right. I mean, there are just times that I've just abdicated my authority. Um, it's heavy, it's weighty. Times when I've just decided that other things could crowd it out instead of that primary role in our families and just fumbling the ball. And thank God for his abounding mercy to us. Thank him for working through us, oftentimes in spite of us and thanking for forgiving children. Authority is the authorization commission for the appropriate use of power. So there's a role given that you're entrusted with to exercise power and influence. We parents are to use our authorized role as people who are under authority, and that authority is God. And this is essentially to seek to love our children well. And maybe the first thing there, I think definitely the first thing there, is we engage in that Deuteronomy 6 style teaching and training. We're, we're talking to our children about loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're sitting around the house and we're walking along the road, driving through the streets in our car. When we go to bed at night and we wake up in the morning, God's word is in our hearts and on our tongues. It's just part of the environment of our home. We're taking it in and passing it along. Good books, prayer, even singing is part of our family life. It means we're endeavoring, endeavoring to put God's word into practice. As parents, if we don't get beyond that, and one of my favorite quotes the last few years by counselor Dan Allender, and he says these words. A leader is called to go further than anyone else. As a therapist, I know I can take no one any further than where I've chosen to go. I can never ask or expect a client to be more honest, more humble, more forgiving, more sacrificial than I am willing to live. Wherever I stop in the progress of growth, is the unseen line dividing civilization from no man's land. Consequently, if a person desires to lead others into maturity rather than mere productivity, he must go first. Otherwise, the discord that comes will derail forward movement. I mean, what he's saying is we lead by example. We're leading by growing throughout the whole course of our life. And our poor, poor example or stymie in growth disrupts the spiritual growth of those around us and our children. So if we want our children to display the fruit of the Spirit, we need to be displaying the fruit of the Spirit. If you want them to be committed to the church, we need to be committed to the church. This is our first group in family outside the home. 
If we want them to prioritize serving others and being involved in Jesus' kingdom, we need to be. It also means in our discipline, we always aim for the heart, not just behavior. And so Proverbs 23, 26 is just a beautiful little verse. And in Proverbs 23, Solomon says, my son, give me your heart. What a, what a verse. And so he doesn't say, my son, give me your presence at church. He doesn't say, my son, give me outward conformity to my code. He says, my son, give me your heart. I mean, what does it take to earn such trust that someone would give you their heart? That's what we're called to cultivate in our children. It's a nurturing, shepherding of son and daughter for their true good. And also in, involved in this is we shouldn't be surprised at anger in the home. And I love how Piper speaks about this. He says in Ephesians 6, 4, of all the counsels that Paul gives to a father, I mean, he could choose a ton of counsels in, in what, he, what he does. The counsel he gives is just this, don't provoke your children to anger. And what that means is anger is the most common emotion of the sinful heart when it confronts authority. So there's going to be anger. Therefore, in your discipline, in your shepherding, cut out unnecessary causes for anger and shepherd and discipline as much as possible in such a way to cultivate those other emotions, those sweeter emotions where faith can grow. Well, what, what does God intend for us in this commandment? What does he intend for us? Why should children honor their parents? And obviously for a host of reasons. I mean, parents, I mean, who loves you like your parents? parents sacrifice for you, sound wisdom, uh, but God's stated reason is this, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Think about that. I mean, Paul calls that the first commandment with a promise, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Like God's intent for giving us this command is he desires our good. He appeals to your best interests. I mean, beautiful. I mean, it's so kind. He's just such a kind father in the way he gives this command. And, but you might say, uh, doesn't this refer to the promised land and therefore hasn't it kind of passed out of existence? Well, the, the issue is beautifully that Ephesians 6, 3 quotes it and Paul quotes this promise, writing to a church in Asia Minor that's Jew and Gentile and saying that you might live long in the land. And the word he uses is the word for earth. Paul broadens it out and says that you might live long in the earth. It applies to us today. Paul calls it the first commandment with a promise to encourage you children whether young children or old children, that sometimes it's not easy. It's just not easy. Honoring our parents the way we should, whether in the home, out of the home, or caring for our parents as they grow older. 
And he's looking at us and saying, look, this is sometimes not easy. I'm attaching a reward to it. <laughs> it's so important to me and I esteem it so much. And I wanna encourage you in that noble endeavor. All right, so what does it mean? What does long in the land mean? It's not this automatic guarantee that you're gonna live to your, in the 90s or the hundreds. It's not this automatic thing. Numerical, if I added up my obediences, I'm gonna live a certain actuarial number of years. In God's mysterious way to deal with our lives, we know this for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory, he may determine to bring our lives to even an untimely end. And therefore we're always ready. And we always trust that our Father does all things well. Nevertheless, the promise is sincere. God extends grace to us through our parents' shepherding. He blesses us as we respond well. He grants earthly benefits to us for honoring our parents. Just opening ourselves up to being molded by their good influence will have this worldly advantages. Liberals and conservatives are both in agreement. Maybe it's the only point that they're both in agreement on in our country. The best indicator of a healthy, well-adjusted life is good parenting. But even more, the best gift that he'll surely give you is as we respond to our parents' gospel seasoning influence is it will enter into real life, eternal life, Entrances in the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth, we will live long in our true country. And this doesn't mean obedience to parents equals eternal life. That's not gospel. This does mean receiving the faith that your parents so want you to receive equals eternal life on the merits of the son. And that leads us to the last little statement doesn't all of this make you love Jesus more? And doesn't it make you love the Father more? Don't you see the gospel throughout this little commandment? The gospel through this commandment is that Jesus is the only true obedient child. He came to be a faithful son because you and I are unfaithful sons and daughters. He came to honor his father because you and I dishonor, disrespect, dismiss, despise our father. We have failed. Uh, we fail in our homes. We fail in our Lives, that's what sin is. We don't deserve to live long in the land. We deserve the very opposite, which is to suffer eternal death and hell. But the Father is so good. He's so loving and generous. He's the Father that goes after rebellious sons who puts rings on their finger and sandals on their feet and fatten calves when they run away from him. He's a father who sends the beloved son, his beloved son, to become one with us so that finally a son 
might obey the Father as the Father desires and do so even when he didn't really want to in the Garden of Gethsemane so that he might glorify his Father even if that required him to be lifted up on a cross to endure judgment on our behalf And Jesus gladly took that commission, that authority over. He joyfully threw himself into his role in order to honor his father, obey his will in appreciation for him and love for fallen, rebellious sons and daughters like you and me. And he exalted his father because he loved him so much and he rescued hell-bound sinners, guilty in sin, by washing them clean in his own blood and enduring judgment on our behalf and giving us all the righteousness and obedience we'll ever need and rising victorious from among the dead to sit at God's right hand and represent you before him. And so you today, by faith in this Jesus Christ, by faith in him, God the Father looks at you not as a rebellious son or daughter, but as a faithful son and daughter who keeps this commandment to the letter with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And so God grants you to live long in the land, to be a member and a citizen of the new heavens and the new earth and to be welcomed into his presence and beloved by him with all the rights and authority of a child of God. This is the gospel of the faithful son who honored his father. And do you have faith in your obedient savior son today? Do you have faith in such a forgiving father? Might this gospel just fill you with such joy and thankfulness? We have a good father save sinners like us. May God add his blessing to you. Amen.